Hello, everybody. I know there's some faces I don't recognize, so I'm Paul. Um, good to see you. And we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. For those who haven't been here, Keith's been talking about prayer in the last few uh, weeks, different aspects of that. And today he's asked me just to come and, uh, come and look at the Lord's Prayer and how that works and, and how we can use that in prayer and as a model of prayer. So if you've got your Bible, um, we're in Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 1 to 15. So it's the Lord's Prayer. We, we all, I'm sure we all know the Lord's Prayer. But I wonder, as you're looking for that, just ask you a question. If someone said to you, how do I pray, how you would answer that question? How do I pray? You might give them a book on prayer. Uh, by some famous player, um, or you might might sort of take them aside and play with them and say, "This is what I do." And if you've been listening to Keith, you should maybe know answers to that. But there won't be a quiz. Uh, there's all sorts of ways that people say that you should play. Um, you could play scripture, and you can do all sorts of things. And Keith's been talking about a lot of that. But today, this is a prayer from Jesus himself. It's a prayer from Scripture itself. It's actually an inspired prayer. Um, Praying through the Lord's Prayer isn't the only model we can use. But if Jesus himself gave it to us, it's probably uh, probably not bad. (laughs) You know, know, we're probably about it, exactly. Yeah. as I say, you all know the Lord's Prayer, I'm sure, and quite often in church settings, maybe not so much in ones like this, the Lord's Prayer is just played um, in the service, or maybe in our own prayer times, we sort of play it every week, and, and that's it, done. We play it as a prayer. But actually, as I've been saying, this is a model of prayer given by Jesus in answer to their question, how do I pray? And Jesus starts in the Lord's Prayer, it's in verse 5 of, of Matthew 6. He says, when you pray. When you pray. So they ask him a question about prayer and he says, when you pray. See, praying is, shouldn't be for Christians an if, it should be a when. There's all sorts of times of day you can pray, all sorts of different methods you can use, but to be a Christian is to pray. It is to spend time with God. And that's not to beat you up if you miss it. I miss it all the time. I go through weeks sometimes where I'm so busy and I just forget to pray. But actually to be a Christian is to pray. It is to spend time with God, to listen to him, to speak to him. And then Jesus starts by telling them not how not to pray. So before he tells them how to pray, he tells them how not to pray. If someone asks you, how do I pray? Do you tell them how not to pray? That's what Jesus does. I wouldn't dare. So, he says, don't be like the religious leaders. Do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. So he says, don't pray like the religious leaders that are around you every day for show. They pray to look good. They prayed to look holy, they prayed so people would give them praise. Look how good he is, look how holy he is. 
Jesus says, don't pray like that. He says, instead, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees you will see what you do in secret and reward you. So we're not to pray to show off, and we know that, but it's an easy temptation in the prayer meeting or in the, in the church service, isn't it, to uh, try and make ourselves look a bit better by saying nice holy prayers. He says, don't do it. Just go in secret, spend time with God. Nobody else needs to know you're doing it. And God will reward you. And his reward is not the praise of people. It's eternal reward. And then he says, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the pagans who babble loads of words and repeat their prayers in order to hope that God might maybe hear them. He says, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask. So there's a model of prayer, there's an easy way to pray, and then he says, this is it. You don't need to keep repeating. And, and ironically, that's what we turn the Lord's Prayer into, isn't it? It's just a repeating of a prayer to hope that God will hear us. And then he says, and this is where we get into the Lord's Prayer itself, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. So we come to God. When we come to our time in prayer, every time we come to worship, we come to God as our Father. Our Father in heaven. And there's been some people, and for those who listen on the, the podcast that won't have been in the service, there's been lots about God as Father as we've been worshipping. We come to God as Father. The Father who cares for us, who wants to give to us, who wants to bless us, who wants to show us his love. God is our Father. And uh, I know people struggle with the idea of God as Father. If you haven't had a father, or you've had a bad father, or a distant father. But Jesus says he's our heavenly father. He's not a father like the fathers you've had, good or bad, but he's your heavenly father. He's different to other fathers. He's a perfect father. I'm going to be a father soon, and I don't know what being a father is all about, but there's many people here who know what it is to be a father and they know the love they feel for their children that's the love that God has for us he is a perfect loving father he cares for us so when you pray you can come confidently knowing that God's your father every time you spend time with him every time you come to church to worship be confident that God is your father that's where Jesus starts there's bits of the prayer later on that we're going to look at. Forgive us our sin. Um, give us this day our daily bread. We so often start there. I do. I so often start with, maybe forgive me of my sin. But Jesus starts with our Father. It's amazing, isn't it? That the, the Father is, is where Jesus wants us, us to go. Hallowed be your name, he says. That's in the NIV. Other translations say, glory to your name, or... Your name be praised. That's what it means to give glory. So God is our Father, but he's also God. And so we come to give him glory. We come to him, and I think we miss this sometimes in our type of church. We come with reverence, with awe, and we come to praise him. He is still God, even though he's our Father, and they're both true. So when you come into his presence, we come with a heart of worship. A heart of worship to lift him up. 
and glorify him for who he is. And that's what it's all about when we come to church. Worship's far more than singing. But everything we've just done this morning, that's part of hallowed be your name. Glory to you, God. So as you come to God in prayer, worship. If you're not confident in singing, listen to some music and sing along. If you play an instrument, play an instrument as you come to God and worship. You know, there's all sorts of ways we can worship. But we come to him as the God who we worship. Our Father, whose name we give glory to. And then he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're still focusing on God. Still haven't got to us yet. Still focusing on God. Asking him to bring his kingdom on the earth. So when we're praying, worshipping, being with God, we're praying for his kingdom to come. Praying for his kingdom to come in world events. Look at what happened, what Kath was talking about earlier, in London, a few weeks ago in Manchester. With politics at the moment, there's an election coming up. God, your will be done in that situation, in, that, in, in, in the voting and in the election, in the lives of your friends who don't know Jesus bringing his salvation in our city your, will, your kingdom come in this city in every church for church planting, for missionaries all over the world you've all got different people you might pray for you might know missionaries you might know church planters you might know beyond this city but we're praying to God and that focuses us on what his purpose and plan is doesn't it it's good to focus on his plan so we're asking God as we come to him as our Father, who we glorify, bring your kingdom. And remember that you are the answer to your prayer. What do you do to bring his kingdom where you are? That's a challenge in itself, isn't it? How are you involved? Are you involved in bringing his kingdom? And then it comes to us. So the first bit of the prayer, Jesus has just been bringing us to God. Who he is, his purpose. And it's a good place to start, isn't it, when we come and pray, when we sort of follow this model, if you are following this model, start with God. Start with the kingdom. Start with his purpose. And it lifts our eyes to, to seeing God. Because that's what our prayer is about. But then he says, give us this day our daily bread. So God does, he does want to give us what we need. I remember when I, I lived in Manchester for six months, I did, well, I was going to say a gap year, it was a gap, gap six months, I suppose. I was on a, a sort of evangelism course to do with Eden in Manchester. Some of you will know it anyway. And I was being supported for money. So I had money coming into my account, I think, every month. So one day I look in my account and there's nothing there. I've spent my money. Um, nothing left. Zero. Nothing. Just to reiterate that, okay? So I'm in a bit of trouble, really. So I start asking God, I, I need money. So I start by saying, give me money in my account. And it doesn't happen. And then I realise you can't sort of tell God how to give you what you want. 
So I stopped doing that and just said, I need some money. Anyway, the next day or a couple of days later, I wake up and there's an envelope under my door. I'm living with about 10 other people, all Christians, in a house. And there's an envelope on the floor that had been put under my door. I find out later, actually, it was my roommate. It hadn't been put under my door, but he made it look like it had. And it had all the money I needed for that time, for a little while, until I the next lot of money that was, that was being given for me to help me to, to do what I was doing. That was God providing what I needed for that day, for that time. And God wants to give you what you need. Give us this daily bread. We need bread. Bread is food. Bread is eating. So don't be afraid when you come to God to ask him for what you need. He's not angry when you ask. He wants you to ask. And he wants to give. That verse isn't the what father would give a snake when you ask for... I can't remember exactly how it goes, but basically it's about how if a good father, if a child asks a good father for something, he wouldn't give him something bad. He would give him something good. And that's what God wants to do. If it's money, if it's if it's uh, a job, if it's a car, if it's whatever you need. And this is just starting with what you need. God likes to give more than we need. Sometimes He blesses us, but what you need every day, God will give it. And I don't trust that sometimes. Pete and Kath will know because Kath's always telling me not to worry. And she'll know we talk about it in our group on a Wednesday and stuff and I'll worry about, like, are we going to get shifts because I work in a flexible job and I'm always trained. To... But we don't need to worry. He wants to give us what we need. And when you pray, you can ask him for what you need. Whether God thinks you need it is another thing. But if you need it, he will provide it. And then he comes on, forgive us our debts, or forgive us our sins, or forgive us our trespasses, whichever version you, you know. So it's important when we come to God to confess our sin, isn't it? We, our sin grieves the Holy Spirit, and our sin sort of damages our day-to-day walk with God. And when I come into prayer, as I said before, I, I quite often start here. The first thing I'll do is I'll uh, come to God, oh God, I'm really sorry, or please forgive me, I've sinned against you, and kind of almost trying to make sure that God's happy with me before I start praying. But it's quite interesting. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, this is not at the start. It's not even before give us what we need. Jesus is saying that we need to confess our sin, but it's quite far down in the prayer. Now, Maybe we don't have to take it as an exact order. But if we do that, Jesus doesn't start with our sin. He starts with Father, as I said before. Now, could it be that our sin doesn't keep us from being with God as much as it does? We still have to confess our sin, it's there. But we say things like, if we don't confess our sin, God won't hear us, or God won't accept us. But that's like the Old Testament, coming every day to the temple and bringing a new sacrifice. Our sacrifice has been given. Jesus paid for our sin on the cross, died for our sin, 
paid the price for our sin, rose from the dead, and now he's seated in heaven and he prays for us. Our sin has already been dealt with. Our sin doesn't stop us from coming to God. So when you come to God, you don't have to come condemned for your sin. Yes, we have to confess, but we don't have to come feeling condemned that God won't hear us. Because he's already accepted us. He's made us righteous in Christ. Holy in Christ. It's like swapping clothes on the cross. He took our sin, and when we believed in him, he gave us his righteousness. So when he looks at us, we look perfect in his sight. So maybe confessing sin, it is about keeping our relationship with God fresh in some ways and not grieving the Spirit, but maybe confessing sin is as much about God showing us how to turn from our sin and be more like him. It's as much an effect on our life as it is on him, because he's dealt with it already before him. So when we confess our sin to God, it's our opportunity to see what's wrong, turn from that and become more like him. It's part of the process of God making us more like him. It's important to confess our sin, but it's important not to be condemned by our sin. So next time you come into prayer, and I I was doing this this morning because I was preaching on this, and I came into prayer and I was still tempted to say, oh God, please forgive me. And it, it it was kind of really, it was a strong sense in me and I just thought, no, I'm going to start by saying you're my father and I'm going to start by worshipping you. Might you try that instead? You might find it difficult at first if you're like me and you start with your sin. But why don't you try that next time you pray? Leave your sin confessions a little bit later. But don't hear what I'm not saying. Sin is important. Sin is is against God. God isn't pleased with sin. Sin is not okay. But God wants us to turn from sin so we can display him more and be more like him and know him better. And there's a verse of that, there's that hymn, isn't there? Um, Before the throne of God above, it's my favourite hymn. Um, Second verse says, When Satan tempts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt within. Would I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin? Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God to just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's where we come. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where we come. And we confess our sin from there. Then the big challenge comes in next. Forgive us our sin as we also have forgiven our debtors. There seems to be an assumption there, doesn't there? As we have forgiven our debtors. Now if you're like me, some of you won't be, you'll be very gracious, nice people. I quite easily hold a grudge. I find forgiveness quite hard, I'll be honest. I've got to do it, God told me to do it. I do it. But I find it hard. When someone's offended me, I find it quite easy to, to say, no, 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 you've offended me, that's it. You know. But he tells me we need to forgive. Forgive. And then T. Wright says this, there's a good reason to think that Jesus regarded this free offer, free offer of forgiveness as a central part of the inauguration of his new covenant. And that he saw the corresponding obligation to mutual forgiveness 
as a necessary badge of membership. The language is a little bit flowery, but what he's essentially saying is this. Jesus has forgiven us so we can be part of his new people. And our obligation is to forgive others. And actually, the Christian faith is the only one where real, complete forgiveness eternally, forever, is possible. All of our faiths have some sort of method of continually needing forgiveness. But we have our forgiveness already through Jesus. So as we come to pray, we take space for God to use us to forgive others. So how do we do that? Well, forgiveness is a choice. And it's a process. And some of you will have people you need to forgive at the moment. It's a process and it's a choice. It's not about feeling forgiveness. It's not about even wanting to forgive. It's about saying, because Jesus commands me to, I'm going to forgive this person. It might happen multiple times. It's certainly not about forgetting. And it certainly isn't about necessarily seeing the person again and becoming friends with them. But it's about continually choosing to forgive. And at the end of the, the, end of the, uh, the prayer, there's, a, there's another bit to the prayer, but at the end Jesus comes back to forgiveness. But if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And he writes again, he says, the heart will not open to forgive others, sorry, the heart that will, the heart that will not open to forgive others will remain closed when God's forgiveness is offered. So that brings us to a Bible story. Do you remember Jesus tells a lesson to his disciples about forgiveness? And he tells a story about three people, really. There's a master and a servant, and then the servant has a servant. Um, there's a master and a servant, and then the servant's servant. And so the first servant goes to his master, and he owes a massive debt to his master. And the master says, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to put you in prison, I'm going to put your family in prison, until you pay me this debt. And the servant gets on his knees, and he begs the master to forgive him. And the master has mercy, and forgives him of his giant debt. So the servant's then going home, and he sees his servant. And his servant owes him a tiny debt. So he says to his servant, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to put you in prison until you pay the debt. But when his servant comes on his knees before him, instead of forgiving him like the master did, he doesn't have mercy. He throws the servant in prison, even though he's been shown mercy, and punishes his servant. So when the first person, the master of the first servant, hears about that, he gets angry. He says, I've forgiven you, but you wouldn't forgive him. So he takes back his mercy, and he says, I'm going to torture you, put you in prison, until you pay everything back that you owe. And the point of the story is, essentially this. We owed a massive debt to God, and he is merciful to us and forgives us. So when someone owes a far smaller debt to us, whatever's done to you is smaller 
than the debt that we owe to God for our sin. We don't forgive, when we don't forgive other people, we are not showing the mercy that God showed us. And that thing is the prisoners then put, he's tortured and put in prison and there's kind of this idea of, of, it's like what happens to us, we're sort of tortured, we're in this prison, but it's actually when you don't forgive, it's worse on you than it is on the other person. The other person might not even know that, you've, uh, that you're holding a grudge against them. And there's this sense of actually we need to forgive so God can free us from the prison of our own unforgiveness and set us free. And while you're not forgiving others, God will forgive you of your unforgiveness. And so it's imperative as we come to prayer, we've asked God to be merciful to us, forgive us of our sin. It's imperative that we do the same to others when we're spending time with God. It's not easy, but it's something that we are called to do continuously, daily. And like I say, I make that, try to make that choice every day, even though it's hard. And then it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's verse 13. So there's an evil one, there's an enemy, the devil, and he wants to lead us into things that tempt us. We can't always blame the devil, of course. We are tempted. And we all do things that aren't pleasing to God. But as a prayer as we come into his presence to say, protect me today from my enemy, the devil. Keep me safe from him and keep me safe from temptation. We're all tempted by different things, money, sex, power, you know, um, tempted not to forgive. There's all sorts of things we're tempted by. But there's an there's a, a opportunity to ask him to give us grace to forgive. And give us, give us grace just to forgive. Give us grace in temptation to be free from that. But if you've got to ask him for forgiveness, uh, for strength in temptation, keep going back to forgiveness. There's no good being asking for strength in temptation if you're playing around the things that tempt you. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge that we all face. The challenge I face. Every one of us. God, please let me not be tempted. But I'll go on that website. Or God, please let me not be tempted. But I'll steal that money. Or, you know. So remember that as you're asking God to give you help against the enemy and help in temptation to actually not be, or to try and keep away from the things that tempt you most. And when you can't keep away from them, God gives you grace. Grace to be free from that temptation. And you all know what you're tempted with. You all know the things you struggle with most. And there's lots of different things. But God gives us grace. So this, this model of prayer, this is just a really great way to, to come to God. Like I say, it's given by Jesus himself. It's very easy to follow. You won't always pray at all, depending how long you pray for and how much time you've got. 
never should never beat ourselves up when we can't always play everything we've got planned to play. It's a really good model to just give us these little, little sort of insights, and then we can fill the bits in ourselves. We can fill in your kingdom come, depending on what God's put on your heart, who you're praying for, who you know that's advancing God's kingdom. You can fill in, give me grace in temptation, depending on what your temptation is. But it's a really good guide to how we can pray through God's will and know what he's saying to us as well as we listen. But always remember, and this is what I, I said with the temptation, but always remember, you are the answer to your prayers. I've been in prayer meetings where people have prayed, God, please let us have a nursery in this church. And I sat there and thought, why are you praying that? Why didn't you start one? You know what I mean? So it's like, that's only a little example, but we're all the answers to our prayers. Asking God for things, asking God to advance his kingdom, you're part of that. So if you pray any prayer, everything that Keith's been saying, any prayer that you pray, remember to be ready to be the one who does that thing. I want to pray for us, that's it. That is Jesus' model of prayer. Can't get much better than that. I want to pray for you. God, I just ask that you will help us to pray. I just ask that you will give us grace against temptation, that you will help us to forgive. And I pray for every person in this room that they will be blessed as they pray. Thank you that all prayer is by the power of your spirit. Whatever model we use, even one straight out of the Bible, is no good without your spirit. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Amen. I just want to say, um, there's a couple of things in there, it just comes to my mind actually, there's a couple of things in there people need prayer for, so I think particularly God as Father, uh, seeing God as your Father, struggling to seeing God as your Father, uh, particularly temptation, if there's certain temptations you really struggle with, we all struggle with temptation, but maybe there's a particular kind of struggle with temptation that you find it hard to and forgiveness as well. If there's some, you're struggling to forgive and you just need some prayer, there's people here to pray. It's like Keith, you're here, and there's other people here, and there's a few people that can pray for you. So I think if you want to invite people to do that at the end, or probably when the service is closed, just, just if you need prayer, you can come and get prayer for those things, and anything else as well, but particularly for those things. Okay.